Numbers. Chapter 13, two verses. Verse 23, verse 33. Chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. Kind of helps to know where we're headed this morning. We'll talk to you about the grapes, which are the immeasurable blessings that are before us in God. The giants, who they are presenting to us immense opposition. And the grasshoppers, those who feel inadequacy of their own selves. And then fourthly, God, the invincible power of heaven that is at our disposal. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Amen. The presence of the Lord makes our worship and our time profitable together. Let's look at verse 23. And they came unto the brook of Eschol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bare it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. Verse 33. And there we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants and were in our own sight. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. Then in chapter 14, two verses, verses 8 and 9, the words of Caleb, man of faith, one of the spies, who stated, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which floweth with milk and honey. Good name for a radio broadcast, isn't it? Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. God has so beautifully presented in types or illustrations truth for us. First Corinthians, the apostle said about Israel and all of their experiences, they happened to them as examples unto us. And so they are clear illustrations of truth for us to receive and to live by. All of those experiences have their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is that rock that was smitten, and out of him issue living waters of life. For those who are thirsting, he satisfies. He is the one who provides leadership and guidance and direction, deliverance, help. All of what we see typified or illustrated in types and in shadows we can enjoy the fruits and fulfillment of them in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, rather than have you asking the question, what 
could possibly this bit of Old Testament history have to do with relevance to our 20th century uh, space age generation? We want to see from the scriptures this morning that God's word is a whole, not just parts, but a complete revelation from beginning to the end. In the book of Genesis, chapter 13, the Lord began to speak to Moses and to, or rather to Abraham, and give him uh, an inheritance promise. This involved much more than Abraham could possibly have conceived of himself. God was speaking to him not just about physical prosperity or progeny that he would have seed that would bless the world and bless the earth through him all the nations of the world would be blessed but there was embodied in that promise and those covenant promises New Testament spiritual inheritance that you and I enjoy as a parallel and we want to share some truth in that regard Turn with me now to the book of Galatians. And the Holy Spirit beautifully ties these truths together for us and lifts them from just Old Testament history and one man's experience with God where he shared covenant promises with him that gave him indication of an inheritance he would have to a New Testament dimension that you and I enjoy and share in common with him today. Galatians 3, 16. It says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Genesis 13. And he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And then he says who that seed is. Who is it? Jesus Christ. So the promise that God made to Abraham and to his seed, he did not say seeds as to many, but he said only one seed, and that is Jesus Christ. Not Isaac, not Jacob, not Jacob's 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel, but the promise was made to Abraham and to his seed, specifically Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus that the whole nations of the world are blessed. Not through Isaac, although through that natural lineage Jesus came, and so in that degree it came through Isaac. But the seed, specifically the Holy Spirit had in mind when he gave Abraham the promise was Jesus. So we recognize that the covenant blessings and promises are to Abraham and to his singular seed, Jesus Christ. All of the promises, 1 Corinthians, or rather 2 Corinthians says, are in him, yea, and in him, amen. We misquote the Bible so often. We say all the promises are yea and amen. No, the Bible says all the promises of God are in him, yea, and in him, amen. 
So if we're to claim the promises at all, we've got to receive them in our position in Jesus Christ. And that exclusively because the promise was made to Abraham and to his singular seed, Jesus Christ. If you want to circle that 16th verse, the last part says, and to that seed, which is Christ. But there's more. Let's look at verse 26 through 29. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ. Isn't that tremendous? And then listen. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, not seeds, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Since we are Christ, then he says, you are also Abraham's seed. You see, we are now the body of Christ. He is the great head of the church, but we being many, hallelujah, losing all of our nationality distinctions, there's neither male nor female, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither Jew nor Greek, but we are all made one in Christ. Hallelujah. And it doesn't work unless that's the way it is. That crosses all denominational barriers. That crosses all of man-made organizational barriers. And since we are Christ, regardless of what area of the planet we live on, that makes us Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise of Abraham. Hallelujah. Now that's exciting to me for this reason. That crosses every church history boundary that men could lay down. All dispensational boundaries that say there was a difference in truth and in experience for the first century believers than there is for 20th century believers. I reject that because if any person has in any point in church history been Christ, then he is Abraham's seed and he is an heir to the promise of Abraham. There was no different experience or truth for, for those early disciples and early apostles. If we be Christ's, then are we Abraham's seed. Whether that happened to us in century number one, century number five, century number ten, or the twentieth century that we live in, we that are Christ's are the seed of Abraham because we have Jesus, we also are the heirs of that promise that he made to him. Hallelujah. And so we want to see ourselves reflected in Jesus Christ today. The inheritance promise. Now Israel is approaching the fulfillment of that. God had said to Abraham, lift up your eyes, look to the east and to the west, to the north and the south, and everything that your eye can see will belong to you. That's your inheritance. God now is bringing the offspring of Abraham, the sons of Jacob, out of bondage from Egypt through that wilderness of Sinai to the very threshold of the inheritance. And as they had reached this point, God said to Moses, select one man, the best man from every tribe, send them as a spy into the land so that they can see what this is like. 
And so 12 men went out to look to see what God had in store for them. They came back with a report. 10 said, it's a fantastic land. In fact, they all agreed. It is a land, a good land, a land of brooks and waters, of fountains, of depths that spring out of the valleys and hills, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year unto the end of the year. A land flowing with milk and honey. They all agreed. Ten of them said, however, the cities that we saw were not cities at all. They were fortresses. They were walled cities. Great, huge, walled cities. And the people are giants. The sons of Anak out uh, outstrip us. They are so much bigger than we are, we'll never be able to go in and possess the land. Joshua and Caleb disagreed. And those are the words that we have there. We can, if God delight in us, then we can go in and possess the land. They will be bread for us. We'll have them for lunch. Because if the Lord delight in us, we don't have to fear. God will provide the access to the inheritance. On their way back, they had a dilemma. They had been so impressed with what they saw. When I was in Israel several years ago, there is a national symbol for the Merchants Association. On those shops that have a reputation for good business, they still hold, there are two men with, with a, a small tree between them with a huge cluster of grapes hanging between them. And when you see that symbol on the window or the front door, you know this is a class establishment and you don't try to bargain with the price. The price is what it is. Uh, when you're going to the old city, you can get it for a fraction of the cost. But when you go into those particular shops, you'll pay what they ask because it's quality merchandise and they have a reputation to uphold among tourism. And so you'll see that symbol uh, of the Merchants Association. The men with the grapes of Eskol, they stopped by the brook and they said, how can we possibly describe to these desert-bound people what this land of inheritance is like? How can we communicate to them what we've seen, what we've tasted? How can we possibly let them know what's in store for them in the blessings of God in their inheritance? You see, we can't really trust just words to be able to communicate spiritual things. I wish I had the gift this morning of articulation and eloquence that I could describe to you in words what it's like to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I wish I could describe to you what it feels like to have your sins forgiven, to know that you're a child of God, to know that there's peace and joy and hope, to know that the guilt and the burden of sin is gone and you're a child of God, to know, I wish I could communicate that to you in words, but I cannot. I wish I could tell you the thrill of being filled with the Holy Spirit and having the anointing of God's presence within and upon your life. I wish I could communicate that to you, but I cannot. I must do as David said in the psalm, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Some things cannot be said in words. They cannot be communicated in thought. They must be tasted. They must be experienced. And so these men brought back a sample. The best way they could convince those people of what they were in for was to bring a sample back. Let them taste the fruit. Let them taste the pomegranate and the figs. And let them sample the grapes of Eskol. They had never seen anything like this before. So huge a bunch of grapes that it took two men to carry it between them. And oh, what an earnest of their inheritance these men brought back to them that they could see and taste for themselves. Hallelujah. Oh, I tell you what. Sometimes we tend to exaggerate. We tend to be evangelistic in our description of some things uh, but the half has not been told the, as great as superlatives as, as I could use as great a descriptive adjectives as I could use this morning it's much better than that I couldn't possibly exaggerate the grace of God I couldn't possibly make it more than it really is if you will taste and see you will find as I have found that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. And so in order to entice them into their inheritance, they brought back an earnest. They brought back the grapes for them to see and to taste for themselves. So they would know what they had in store. That makes all kind of rhetoric unnecessary. Once a person has tasted, they're satisfied. Hallelujah. You don't have to convince them anymore. No one could ever talk them out of it. He brought them a sample. Now, if you will leaf back just one page to Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, and to the first chapter and the 13th and 14th verses, he's speaking about the same thing. In whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, which is the grapes of Esco. Just typically, as those spies brought back a sample for the Israelites to taste, so we have an earnest of our inheritance, which is the, the Holy Spirit of promise. He said, after you heard the word, you believed, and you have been sealed with the Holy Ghost of promise. Then verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says this, Who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Praise the Lord. So what the grapes of Eskol was to the Canaanites or to the Israelites from Canaan, the Spirit of the Lord is to the New Testament children of God. Back to Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ, he said, hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every man that hangeth upon the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive, and underline this, 
the promise of the Spirit through faith. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit. There's a definite article there that is a specific promise of God. Very specific. Now you need to keep that thought firmly planted in your mind and let me read to you from the first chapter of the book of Acts. Jesus, just before he ascended, he's about to leave this earth. And he said to his disciples in verse 4, Wait for the, the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And when you read chapter 2, and the experiences of the day of Pentecost, and Peter stood to his feet and began to answer, and began to answer the question, what meaneth this? He took them into the Old Testament scriptures and said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, which says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And then verse 32 and 33 says, this Jesus that you've crucified, God has raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. And therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. That same promise of Abraham in Galatians 3.16 is the promise Jesus made to the disciples and the fulfillment that Peter talked about in chapter 2. Oh, aren't you glad for the grapes? Amen? Aren't you glad for the earnest of our inheritance, the foretaste of the glory that God has in store for us? Oh, that's not a stopping point. That's not a place to camp and just say, we're just going to have a great party. That was to excite them about a land that was flowing with milk and honey. There's land to be possessed, and it's just to whet your appetite to go into the land and possess your possessions. Amen? Oh, not just to kind of put a notch on your spiritual God and say, no, I'm charismatic. But it is only the grapes. It's only the foretaste. It's only the sample that we have of the powers of the world to come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm so glad that he has made available to us the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, oh, pastor, didn't that happen at salvation? Well, let me tell you about baptism. There are different baptisms. Each one have a different agent and a different element. John said, I indeed baptize you with water. Who's the agent? John. What's the element? Water. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he it is who is mightier than I. He will come and he who is the agent will baptize you into the element of the Holy Ghost and with fire. Oh, but pastor, aren't we baptized into the church? Yes, 1 Corinthians says that in verse chapter 14, we have been by the Spirit 
baptized into the body. The spirit is the agent, the body is the element, so that we are all now made to drink of one spirit. Now he repeats the same thing. We being many are one, no Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, but we are all now one in Christ. How? Because the Holy Spirit has taken us and immersed us into a huge body that now erases distinctions of history and we become one in Jesus Christ. So we need to be clear in the area of baptism who is the agent and what is the element in which we're baptized? There is as much difference in being baptized in the Spirit as there is being baptized in water. One is the pastor is the agent, the water is the element. The other, Jesus is the agent and the Spirit is the element. The Holy Spirit is the agent and the body of Christ is the element. And we become immersed and submerged into that universal body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sure, that happens at salvation, and I'm glad it does. But have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? There are grapes to be had, friend. There is an experience out of your innermost being which will flow rivers of living water. Hallelujah, this spake he of the Spirit which was not yet given for Jesus Christ was not yet glorified, but hallelujah, since he has been ascended and received of the Father that promise, that promise which you now see and hear. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, I hope I make you hungry for the grapes this morning. And if you haven't tasted of the earnest of your inheritance, you're missing something. Don't just be content to have someone else share their experience and uh, to hear about it. Taste and see. Amen? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Hallelujah. And the beginning, just a foretaste of all that he has outlined for us. All right, we only have three points to go. What time do the Steelers kick off? <laughs> Giants. Wish I could tell you that since you were delivered out of Egypt and you've tasted the grapes, no more problems. From here, it's all downhill. But it's only then that you're equipped to face the giants. You begin to encounter the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. I think we see an increasing situation of that within church life today. The only way to meet spiritual forces like that is with another spiritual force that's superior. Thank God greater is he that is within you than he that's within this world. And we recognize that our weapons are not carnal but mighty through God to the tearing down of these strongholds. And Caleb understood that and he said if God delight in us we do not need to fear. The size of the adversary or the size of the enemies that are coming against us 
And there are, my friends, spiritual wickedness in high places. Principalities and powers you cannot see with the naked eye, but part of the troubles you faced this past week have been spiritual battles, have been demonic activity and demonic oppressions that he would like nothing better than to hinder you from moving in to Canaan and possessing your possessions. Satan loves nothing more, nothing better than to keep you stalemated and stymied right where you are as a born-again Christian, even a spirit-filled Christian, to go no farther than just Kadesh Barnea. God has something more than just Kadesh Barnea and just enjoying those grapes. He has a whole land to be possessed. The devil would stand in our way, but I'm glad when Joshua took them over, Jericho came down. <laughs> And Ai was defeated, and all the land that God ordained for them was possessed. Now, we don't have a lot of time to touch on a critical area, but this is absolutely vital to our Christian faith this morning, and that's the grasshopper syndrome that absolutely stymies Christian growth and participation. What did they say? We are grasshoppers in our sight, and that's their estimation of us too. We are just unable. The sense of inadequacy and the sense of inferiority that even for people that have been washed in the blood and filled with the Spirit absolutely sabotages their service from that spot because they just don't feel like they have anything to offer. What can I do? And they just feel like a grasshopper. And they view themselves as so insignificant and inadequate and, and unable that they never really do win a soul to Jesus Christ or care to stand for him or witness for him because they just, in their own view of themselves, feel absolutely unworthy. Psychological warfare, I believe this is one of the most successful strategies and devices of the devil to keep us from really truly enjoying what God has for us to enjoy and becoming involved in what God has ordained for us to become involved with just paralyzes our potential totally and completely I believe it ruins our relationship eventually with God if we see ourselves the way these Israelites saw themselves and for that reason aborted God's plan for delivering them out of Egypt and they detoured 40 years unnecessarily in the wilderness and died there still having that same view of themselves. And I'm convinced there are people sitting in this service this morning who are genuinely born again and spirit-filled, who are not going to progress beyond Katie's Barnea until God does a healing in their self-image. And they see themselves like Caleb and Joshua saw themselves in the light of God's reflection and God's mirror and said, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And there is a combination of psychological and spiritual problems 
that says, I don't care for what I see. I'm unhappy with myself. By comparison, I'm a grasshopper in my own sight and in their sight. And stymies right there. Christian growth and development because of the way we see ourselves. Someone asks us to teach or to sing or to get involved and we say, oh, I, you know, I can't. I, you know, I just don't have that gift. Grasshopper syndrome. You can't read your Bible and not know that Paul knew what he was talking about when he said, not many mighty are called. Not many noble are called. He purposely chooses people like me and people like you. The foolish things, the weak things, the base things, the things that are not. Hallelujah. Not many supermen, not many wonder women are called. But oh, in the sight of God, you are of tremendous potential to the kingdom of the Lord. If we can see ourselves the way God sees the potential for our life, And every one of the servants that the Lord used had to get over this. When he stopped at Moses with the burning bush and said, I want you to go to Pharaoh, he said, God, I can't go, I stutter. I can't speak. Send somebody else. He felt inadequate and insecure. But God called him. He didn't call somebody else. Jeremiah said, who am I? I'm but a child. I can't do this. He had to get him over that hump before. Gideon said, I'm, I'm the, of the least tribe of Israel. I'm the, the least in my father's house. I can't do this. And God said, go and I will go with you. And you'll find it true with everyone God used. He had to get them over that sense of inadequacy and indifferent about, about themselves and help them to see themselves in the mirror that he was giving them to look into. And instead of looking into the ones that other people have been handing you, let's look into this mirror and see ourselves the way God reflects us back. Hallelujah. And Caleb and Joshua become our champions. And we can go in and possess the land, but it's only going to be after we see ourselves right. And get over that horrible feeling of grasshopper syndrome. Feeling I'm just a grasshopper in my own sight and in their sight. And you see, that was inflicted upon us by our surroundings while we were growing up. We were taking the reflection of ourselves from people, from their, from their attitude, from their actions, from their facial expressions, from their tone of voice. So we were gathering information. That's how our self-image is developed as we, as we grow. And we take the messages that they give us and we are in our image, self-image, what we have seen reflected from their mirror. And it'll take the Holy Spirit in cooperation with God. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. I've got good news for you this morning.
you can change. God can change you. You can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is an ongoing action word, which means continuous process. Renewing in your mind, which has to do with your thoughts, the way you think, and specifically the way you think about yourself, you need to have your mind renewed by the Holy Ghost, the way you think, the way you think about yourself. Oh, hallelujah. He has a miracle for us. And we began to see ourselves the way he knows us to be. Jesus saw two people when he saw Peter the first time. Andrew brought him and introduced him to Jesus. Jesus said, Thou art Simon, which means a stone, which means a reed, blown to and fro, easily moved, easily swayed. But thou shalt be called Cephas, which being interpreted is a stone. He said, I see what you are, but I can see what you're going to be. Hallelujah. And after the day of Pentecost, that's when it happened. Up till that point, he was still being blown away by a little girl fluttering her eyelashes and saying, aren't you one of the Galileans? And he cursed and swore and said, no, not me. But you'll never see that happen again after Pentecost. Something happened in his self-image that made him realize he was a child of the Almighty God. And he was able to stand in that knowledge. And something different took place in that man. He truly became fulfillment of what Jesus saw in him when he initially met him that day. He became a stone. He became Peter. Hallelujah. Not Simon Peter, just plain Peter. Praise God. He has that same kind of miracle in store for us today. Father, I pray that you'll help us today. Help us this morning not to be a victim of the devil's psychological warfare that stops us at the very threshold of our inheritance in God simply because we sense inadequacy, we sense inferiority. Lord, some have lived with influences and parents who didn't understand really what they were saying and doing and those scars and wounds that run so deep inside. We have felt ourselves to be the messages they communicated that we are. And I pray that this morning there would be a beginning process, a continuing process within the lives of your people. Not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly have a right dimension of thought concerning ourselves because it will keep us from responding to the call of God just as surely as anything. Moses had to get over it. Jeremiah had to get over it. Gideon had to get over it. And we have to get over it too if we're going to be a witness for Jesus Christ. We have to allow the Lord access and cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our life to bring us to the full potential that Jesus saw in us when he saved us. And I pray that you'll minister grace today to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand and make this a prayer to the Lord as you sing it. Make me more like thee, Jesus, make